0: design a cottage history podcast. I'm your host Katie McNabb and I'm also a local interior designer in cottage country. So that means Georgian Bay, Muskoka, Perry Sound, all of these areas that we call cottage country. I live and work in in a daily basis. If you're new to this podcast, I am a lover of cottaging, cottages, cottage architecture, cottage history, anything that has to do with with this beautiful area that we call Cottage Country. We discuss a lot of topics on this podcast, including cottage history, but we also talk about cottage design and architecture, and we talk a lot about sustainability, protecting the shorelines, and environmental and cultural issues as well. So if you're interested, please follow along and click that follow button to receive notification on next episodes. So on today's episode, we have actually another interior designer as our guest. Her name is Rebecca Hay, and she is an entrepreneur with her own interior design studio that she has grown over the years. She focuses mainly on residential interior design and focuses mainly in the GTA Toronto area, but she also has worked on a lot of cottages up here in Muskoka. So not only is she an entrepreneur... She is also a mom, and she is also a podcaster, and she is a cottager herself. So on today's episode, we'll dive deep into her history of cottaging and cottage country, but we also talk about her journey to becoming an interior designer, kind of her life experiences that led her to becoming an interior designer, and what she loves most about cottage country, cottage design, and the differences between designing for, let's say, Mm, like the GTA Toronto area in a more urban environment versus designing for a cottage environment. So there's a lot to talk about in today's episode. I'm really excited to share this with you. And just to jump on this, there will be a part two to this episode talking more about the actual history of the piece of land slash kind of island that her cottage was located on, on Royal Muskoka Island. I'm going to do a little bit of a deep dive in the next episode to talk about this part of the area a little bit deeper. So stay tuned for that in three weeks' time too. So without further ado, we'll just jump right into our conversation with Rebecca. If you'd like to see photos associated with this podcast, you can also take a look at the blog portion of this episode on my website, rewinddesign.ca, to see historical photos, to see photos of Rebecca's cottage and to see photos of Rebecca's design work as well. So again, that is rewinddesign.ca and go check it out. If you'd like to follow along on a daily basis, you can also follow on Instagram at rewinddesign.interiors. first of all, I just wanted to say thank you so, so much for being a part of this episode today. I really, really appreciate you taking the time. And yes, on today's show, uh, Rewind Design, we have Rebecca Hay from Rebecca Hay Design. And if we can just get Rebecca, can you just introduce yourself and say maybe what's your name? Where are you from? And maybe we'll just start with that.
1: Yes, absolutely. Well, first of all, Katie, thank you so much for having me today. Um, I love being a guest on other people's podcasts because I'm always the one interviewing <laughs> other people on my podcast. So I'm really excited to be here and I'm excited to talk about our shared love of cottage country and all that, all that stuff. So thank you so much for having me. Yes. Um, I'm Rebecca Hay. And, uh, I'm an interior designer. I, ha, I live in Toronto and I have a residential design firm here in Toronto. We service the GTA and, uh, Cottage Country, of course, my favorite place to be. And in the pandemic, I launched an online business for designers. So I actually, um, I host a podcast. As I mentioned, it's called Resilient by Design. And that is a real tangible business advice for interior designers, designers, stagers, decorators, architects, creative entrepreneurs that are in the design space on helping them to understand how to run and grow a successful business. And I have online courses as well for these interior designers. I have a membership and a coaching program. And I'm really excited about that sort of side of my business that started as a side hustle and has now become... (laughs) Really my main passion. So it's kind of neat. It's, it's like all, I get to use a little bit of all my skill sets. Like I, I have was a teacher at one point in my life and we can talk about travel maybe a little bit later. So I know you also yes. love to travel, yes. but I lived in Spain, taught English. I, you know, I went to theater school. So I love to like perform and. I love educating and so with my experience with design it's like that perfect trifecta now where I get to help other women cuz most designers are women I'm going to say. I've had one man go through my courses. So really it's to help empower female entrepreneurs by giving them the tools that will help them be successful and it it really lights me up and I love talking about it. So I'm so excited to dive into all the things here.
0: Okay. So, you know, what's really, really funny is I've done maybe like 13 episodes of this podcast and I've never (laughs) interviewed another podcaster. So, I feel like this is going to be a breeze and I'm just so excited. And you've just mentioned a few things that really uh, stand out to me that I, I can really relate to you about. Like, I didn't realize that you also went to theater school because I also went to theater school, and oh my gosh, really? I'm like, wait, the more things you're saying, the more like I really relate to you. Yeah, I went to high school, like uh, art school for theater in high school. And then I noticed that you went to Spain. I lived in France. I just feel like we have so many parallel things going on. Oh my god, we're the same person. <laughs> know. I'm also a big talker, and I, yeah, love love interviewing and podcasting. And um, I just feel like I I just really relate to you on so many levels. So I'm just so excited to be able to connect. But um, oh my god, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I feel like you've already answered like my top five questions. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) But no, that's totally fine. So I know you're from the GTA. Where are you? You live in service, the GTA area. But where did you actually grow up? So that's a
1: really interesting question Was kind of a complicated answer. Um, (laughs) I grew up in lots of places, all in Ontario, um, which is in Canada. I don't know if you have any international listeners, but I was born in a small town called Listowel, Ontario. My entire family was really entrenched in that town for generations. My grandfather had been the mayor of that town. And then my parents split when I was very young and we left and we lived in Caledon. I lived in Orangeville. I lived in North York and I lived in Toronto. Um, So I kind of grew up in all those places, but I would say my longest um, stretch of time was in Toronto proper. And that's sort of right in the center of the city, where Midtown Toronto is where I did all of my high school years, um, which was, you know, kind of informative years in a way, because that's when you make all your friends and learn what you want to do with your life. So I spent a lot of time in the city of Toronto.
0: Okay. And you mentioned you went to theater school and that you were a teacher. So where did you go to post-secondary school? How did that all work out for you?
1: Well, I feel like it's such a long and convoluted path is what I like to say. I mean, if you listen to my podcast, my first episode is literally like, okay, let's just get, let's just talk about where I came from and get to the over with in the first episode. Yeah. But because here's the thing, I think that most human beings have no idea what they want to, and you can't see me, but I'm doing air quotes, what they want to do when they grow up. And, you know, the world has definitely changed. Yeah. And I, but I, I mean, I'm hoping the world has changed and I hope my children, because I have two little kids, I hope that they don't feel the same pressures to decide at an early age like I did. And it's a hard when you're in high school and now high school is four years. I had five years of high school and I still didn't know what I wanted to do. And so I just took the traditional path. I followed a bunch of friends and we went to McGill University, which is a great school. I'm not sure I picked it for the right reasons i mean i picked it because montreal is a really cool city and i like to travel and i at the time was really into partying so (laughs) i thought (laughs) mcgill was perfect and i just did like a general undergrad i had wanted to go to theater school i chickened out i just didn't have the uh the chutzpah, I guess you would call it, to really to audition even, to go to that, to go to school. I did a theater in high school very heavily. That was my passion. Yeah. Same. Um, <laughs> but I just didn't think it was good enough. I was insecure and I just thought, I'll just take the safe path. Like, I don't want to rule anything out. And in the end, I'm glad. I, I have zero regrets in life. I think that. You just have to make a decision and go with it. And you look back and every decision you make gets you closer to where you are. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm not someone who looks back. I always look forward. But I did just do a general undergrad. And then from there, still didn't know what I wanted to do after four years. Worked at Lululemon of all places in Toronto. While, then I did a little bit of acting. On the, I did a little thing on the side. I decided to go to Spain because I thought, well, maybe I want to be a teacher. Let me try it. Let me teach, let me teach ESL. See if I like it. Um, before I, you know, go back to school for, for teaching. And um turns out I liked teaching, but not enough to go to school for it. Uh, I really did like speaking Spanish and, and living uh, a European lifestyle, though. That was amazing. I'm sure. Like, what about France? What
0: took you to France? (laughs) Uh, I feel like I had a very similar path where I was like, yeah, I, well, my mom did interior design. So that's kind of what influenced me to do interior design, similar to what I saw on your website Um, in your little description talking about how your mom really influenced you with um, decorating and interior design as well. And then I went to Ryerson, did the four years, graduated, but then I just didn't feel quite ready to just jump into a career. And I'd always had this travel bug and my sister was, you know, serendipitously living in France on exchange. And I went to French Immersion and I've always had this obsession with um, France. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to start working yet. I'm just going to go get a working visa for France and just try it out and see see what it's going to be like. And I ended up staying, instead of four months, I stayed for two years. I lived in the French Alps. I became a restaurant manager in, the, in this, like, little bilingual French-English town up in the mountains. And it was, like, by far the best experience that I have ever had in life. And I almost, like, didn't do it because I thought that I just had to start working. But then once I came back from France, uh, and I was looking for design jobs after two years of not working in design, um, when I was uh, applying to jobs, the most important thing that employers said that they, why they liked my resume was because I actually had management experience, uh, managing a team of like 15 people. And they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, we know you can design, but this is amazing that you like moved abroad and had the courage and the adventure. And um, I, I, yeah, it like really changed my, my path in life and for the best. (laughs) Yeah, so that's like my travel my travel thing I'm actually going back there for a week in March to visit again so I'm pretty pretty excited oh, that's for that. amazing yeah it's so
1: true though like I think that you know traveling and just getting life experience is such an incredible teacher and it's not something that there's no formula for it it's not like go to school and then you'll have this degree and then you'll do this thing like no. you just were like I'm going to France I was like I'm going to Spain I don't have any idea what the outcome is going to be and
0: I was there for two years too it's so crazy yeah, but it was like the I know. best time of my life oh my god so much fun and you just i went there not having i had like no money i, had, I like oh went yeah. with my totally with my Dirt backpack poor. in my shoes and i was like i'll find a job no problem like i i can i can do i can do anything and i've just kind of maintained that perspective going through life is like if i if i believe in myself and i i put myself in the situation like i know that i can make it work and i can know that i can make it happen so i feel like that pertains to you know like this podcast and design and it's just like the mentality that i move forward through life with so yeah i love that you also had that experience and i i would encourage everyone to to give it a go <laughs> yeah
1: and if and- anyone who's listening is like Younger than you or I, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I don't know the demographics of who listens to your podcast, but mm-hmm. if you are not necessarily younger, actually, I take that back. At any, I think age, anyone, yeah. And you have this urge and this desire to like explore, experience, try something new. I think that anything the pandemic has taught us to go, like you have instincts, you have dreams, you have desires. If not now, then when exactly and like, for me that's how I started a podcast that's how I, I sort of me leaned too. into coaching it was like hey this is something kind of a cool new opportunity let's try this let's see how it goes I had no idea that here I am three years later I would be where I am today I just yeah. just dove in or leaned into as Cheryl Sandberg would say I leaned into a passion and it mm. took me down a path I could never have planned for
0: And you'll never get there if you don't at least try or give it a go and like push yourself and feel nervous. And yeah, I that kind of leads me into my next question that I'm like, how did you how did you end up getting into the interior design realm after this Spanish adventure?
1: So, so great question. <laughs> <laughs> i know serial entrepreneur over here. I'm like constantly changing what I want to think I want to be and what I want to do. I was still passionate about acting. So honestly, Katie, I was in Spain. I like fell in love. I had a boyfriend from Spain. I was like totally fluent, like dreaming in Spanish, but living in a small town and just feeling like this isn't it. I need more. I need more. And I think probably if I had been in a city, I may have stayed longer in Spain, I don't know, because there just wasn't as much mm-hmm. opportunity in the little town, and um, I was like, I don't want to teach another year. They asked me to stay, and I said, no, I think I'm going to go back to Canada. I was not ready to come back to Toronto. I thought Toronto was super boring. I called it Boronto. I just was <laughs> not into Toronto. I was like, blech,
0: how boring, especially after living in Europe. Like, no, thank yeah. you. I mean, I probably had that same sentiment coming home, honestly. You can ask my parents. They are, Yeah. <laughs> But
1: when you grow up in a place – anyways, we could, that's a whole other topic that, That's for a whole other topic. day. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Um, and anyways, I, I was like, well, I, you know what? I'm going to pursue this other passion of mine, which was acting. I always had this dream. And so I thought, if I don't try it, I will always wonder. So I applied to go to film school like um, for acting, uh, the Vancouver Film School. And I picked Vancouver. I don't know why. I think just because I found that there was a film school there that was relatively easy to get into. Um, and so I got into it and flew across to Vancouver. My boyfriend followed me and worked as a waitress, got an agent, went through school and just started working as an actor and went to a lot of auditions. And was just not fulfilled. I was managing a restaurant like you. So oh my God. this is hilarious. I was the day leader <laughs> at Earl's on First Street. If anybody knows oh Earl's restaurant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Vancouver is a pretty big deal. Yep. Uh, and I was like, is this my life? I don't think this is my life. I want to be creative. And I always liked design. Like as, as you mentioned, it's on my website. My mom always had our house was always beautifully decorated. Um, And I'd always sort of thought in the back of my head that could be an avenue for me, but I wasn't ready to entertain that idea until I was out there and I thought, I'm ready. I was 28 at the time, I want to say. Like, I felt old and all my friends back in Toronto had real jobs. And here I was waitressing. And so I thought, okay, this is it. I'm going back to school. My parents, oh my goodness, when I look back on it, how patient they were like to not object to any of these career changes for me like I was clearly just trying to figure it out and I went back to school for interior design and I did a diploma and uh, I aced it because I was the oldest student in the class because everybody else are the
0: best students
1: I know yeah I was like (laughs) I don't need to party I mean I would still party but I you know I just got the work done it was just such a different experience than when I was at McGill yeah and um and then I ended up moving back to Toronto I got offered a job working for uh, a designer here in Toronto I had a brief Gigs working at a staging company in, in Vancouver, which I never really loved the staging, but I was just happy to be in that realm in and that field. sort of,
0: yeah, yeah, that's what, um, that's sort of my long path to interior design. <laughs> you know what? It doesn't matter the path; it matters, you know, the journey. And you know, you're you're in a place now where you're really happy and discovering all of your passions and and well, even like rediscovering new passions that you're constantly evolving. So, I love that and I can really heavily relate to you on, like, so many things, which is amazing. Um, So, just to loop this in, more into cottage country. So, if anyone is new to the podcast and this is their first episode, I am also an interior designer, but I'm up in cottage country. So, more like Muskoka, Georgian Bay. I'm from Perry Sound, kind of like the heart of Georgian Bay. And there's, like, so much history up here that when I, I came back to this area during COVID when everyone was all locked up and I couldn't be in Toronto anymore. I just, like, couldn't do it. And um, I just kind of rediscovered this love of the area and the history, and I'm just, like, want to talk about it with anyone who wants to talk about it. And I know that you, Rebecca, have worked on projects in Cottage Country, so I had a few questions about that. So, Yes. So I'm not sure how many projects and where they have been, but have they been more in Muskoka?
1: Yes. And that's because my family for many, many years had a cottage in Muskoka. Yes. We sold it during the pandemic.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so Muskoka specifically holds a very special place in my heart. But I have worked in Halibut, Burton, Quarthas, um, in those sort of areas as well. Uh, cottages, though, are, like, if I could just do cottage design every day, all day, I would. There's something about (laughs) a second property, a country home. It's always held, because I think I grew up with memories, and having a cottage, it really holds a special place in my heart and I see how valuable it can be for a family to Mm -hmm. have that escape, that retreat, that special place that you go that's outside of the hustle and bustle of the everyday. So yeah, all of the, all of the areas, I mean, we did, I actually worked one season on, um, With Income Property with Scott McGilvery. So I did some Mm -hmm. stint in HGTV. I didn't mention that, but I worked for Property Brothers one season and I worked for Scott McGilvery. And the season I did with Scott McGilvery was called uh, Income Property on Vacation. And we got to design. You would love it. It was such an incredible experience. I'm going to have to find that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you can still find, it might be in syndication. I mean, it was several years no, no, ago, no. but okay. it was, um and since I think he's even done more cottage stuff, but we did yeah. a place in Collingwood, we did a place in Quarthas, we did a place in Prince Edward County, um, and that was just, I loved that season because I got to just do cottages. I, I love a and relaxed, comfortable
0: style. Ugh, yeah. I love it. And there's just so many different cottage areas, too. Like, it's almost endless in Ontario. I focus mainly on Muskoka, Georgian Bay, because that's where I'm actually located and where I work day in, day out. And, like, I breathe Georgian Bay, you know? Like, I grew up here. I, I just totally respect and admire this, like, the landscape and... I think anyone that's ever experienced having a cottage or being at a cottage knows exactly what I'm talking about in the sense that like you arrive to your cottage and you're just instantly happy and relaxed and tranquil and it's just the most magical place for me to come to and for anyone that's ever had a cottage or been to one, it's like it's almost hard to describe what it feels like going to the cottage <laughs> like when you yeah. open it up in the spring and uh yeah. yeah it's amazing but
1: I miss it I mean I really I do know. We, my dad sold I mean he sold in 2020 I want to say
0: okay. um
1: which was a good time to sell in Muskoka yeah <laughs> right but not a good time to buy um no but it was just the they didn't make sense for us anymore he wasn't using it the rest of our family has it doesn't live nearby and so i my family and i were the only ones using it but um i do miss it like my in-laws have a place up in the Quarthas, which we go to in the summer but i can tell you it's just not the same it doesn't have the same geography the topography it doesn't have the the canadian shield like it's just the water
0: has weeds katie (laughs) (laughs) And you don't have that personal experience with that area. Like, your experience no. growing up was coming to Muskoka.
1: Totally. And there's something about, you know, you're driving up and you see, like, the the rock face. And there's that yeah. group of seven painting, you know, the visual of what – it's just – it's very – you're right. It's just whatever you know. It's however mm-hmm. you grew up. It's whatever you know. And there's I'm sure so the many people-
0: perks to the other areas, too, but it's what yeah. you know. And I'm sure the people that, like – grew up having their cottages in Kawarith are like, whoa, whoa, Rebecca, that's not my experience.
1: I know. They're like, <laughs> you sound like a Muskoka snob. And it's not no. that because I no. like a rustic cottage, but yes. it's it's just what you're used to. Yeah,
0: exactly. So I I had a few questions relating more so to your your parents or your family's cottage history. So we know that your cottage was on Lake Rosso. That's correct, right? Yes, it was Lake Rosso on Royal Muskoka Island. Okay, so that was my question: Was it boat access or was it on mainland? So, so you it's were actually. On- so it's called Royal Muskoka Island,
1: and anyone who knows Lake Rosso knows that it's, that's not really an island. Mm-hmm. It's actually connected with a via a causeway. Okay, I mean, at one point in time, maybe it was probably an island, but it's so close to the mainland so the the i mean, and you probably know this if you know muskoka well R- royal muskoka island is i'm going to say famous i don't know if it's not world famous but there was <laughs> a um very big one of the old muskoka resorts on it mm-hmm. and it was called royal muskoka the Royal Muskoka, I think. I should have brushed up on my history before this interview. I'm definitely going to research Muskoka this too. Hotel, The Royal Muskoka Hotel. I, oh yeah, it was one of those big, you know, there's like the big old resorts in Muskoka. Oh my gosh, there's so
0: many resorts. I can't, I'm like blanking on this specific one though. I'm like Windermere or like which one?
1: Yeah, Anyways. so it's like, it's central on the lake. Windermere a bit mm-hmm. further south, um, but it burnt down in a big fire as they all did. And there's just, there's very little remnants. There's some left of the stone wall. And then eventually it was turned into cottages. But what's really neat about Royal Muskoka Island, for those who don't know, maybe I shouldn't share. It's like such a little secret is that (laughs) there's the Royal Muskoka Island Association. I think that's what it's called. And Mm -hmm. essentially the, the land that's in the middle of the island is owned by the cottagers okay so there's like i don't know dues or fees or what have you that you pay and not every cottage is a member like you have to opt in it's not a requirement i don't believe i don't know i don't really know maybe i'm i might be just speaking out of my <laughs> no either way it's my dad very interesting and they have so there's this communal land in the middle which is amazing and I I was told that part of that land cuz it's clear just clear there's like a clearing there you often see deer and animals because it used to be the Royal Muskoka Hotels golf course now Back in the day, the golf courses were not like they are today. They were much smaller. <laughs> and um and there's so but now there's like a big open airy field. No one really uses it. It's just like very beautiful to walk go for walks around the island. Mm-hmm. And there's tennis courts, and there's a basketball net, and there's like a little playground that's maintained. There's like um bocce area, horseshoes. So there's kind of neat, and they have a picnic every summer in the middle where all the cottagers can go to the picnic. You pay money and there's like hamburgers and hot dogs and there's like three-legged races and all kinds of fun things. So okay. it was a really beautiful community <laughs> that I was yeah. extra sad because I now have young kids. I was excited that they would yeah. get to experience that, which they won't. Um, so it's really a neat, it's a neat location. It's a, it's a very unique location, I think, as far as cottage country goes.
0: Yeah, I'm actually looking at Google Maps here to just check it out because I'm trying to familiarize myself a bit more with Muskoka because I'm I'm from the Georgian Bay side of things that Muskoka is more new to me, especially the history. So I'm I can see like it's close to Judd Haven, which I know also had another resort. And yeah, you're saying it's pretty much central Lake Rosso, but it, you're right, it's not really an island. It's just kind of like the peninsula on the end of another peninsula. And you can to get
1: see... there, you drive by Cleveland's house and the yes. J W.
0: Marriott. yes, yeah. So that makes sense all the way. but the it's, end. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a really cool spot, like right at the very end of all of this. And then the lakes just in the middle. and you can see really cool. I can see like the tennis courts from this aerial view. and there's that huge clearing in the middle of the island that mm-hmm. you're talking about where where people have these picnics and things. So that's really, really cool. I'd love to know the history behind that as well.
1: You I know. mean, I have – there's a bunch of books. I have all the books, but, I mean, I don't remember the details.
0: <laughs> all right. Don't worry. That's okay. That's okay. Um. Okay, cool. So, I guess, do you know when your parents uh, purchased this property? Like, how long it's been in your family for? But Since so
1: 2020? My, yeah. So, my dad purchased it with my stepmom at the time when I was a teenager, early young teen. So, I think it was – I can't remember the exact year. I think it was, like, 92 or 93. Um, so he had it for about 30 years, if I do the right math. Mm -hmm. Um, but before he bought it, it had previously been owned by the Irvine family and they had had it for at least a generation, if not two. And they had done a lot of the work. Like they had added all these additions and it was kind of neat because on each area, like there was a little dining room addition, they put plaques that said, you know, Irvine family, um and they put the date of the renovation
0: oh my god so it
1: was kind of neat to have that history (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: uh it was you know it was an old cottage that you know has as it used to be not like today today everyone just comes in bulldozes it down and builds a mansion Mm -hmm. but back then it was like you take a cabin and you add to it and then the family kept growing and then you add to it and then they had a boathouse and then they added to the boathouse and they added living quarters (laughs) Yeah. yeah Um, and then we did do a renovation in the time that the, the year before, it was like 2012, the year before my wedding, we did a big renovation and we put in a new kitchen and we opened up the main space a little bit, but we tried to preserve, there's this beautiful cherry wood paneling on the walls, I guess, that had been imported from South America back in the sixties that was on all the oh, walls cool. and all the ceilings. And so we preserved that and we actually oiled it to bring it back to life. So I was like that really dark, rich wood tone. It's so funny because... When we did the renovation, I was like, "Oh, I kind of wanted to paint it, but we actually couldn't paint it cuz the wood was so porous it would take so much." Cuz yeah. it was like white and bright and light was so popular. And but you now did. I'm looking at design trends, <laughs> design trends are like the opposite. It's all about like moody yeah. and dark and like dark woods, and it's so funny how design trends are cyclical.
0: I just say do ever do whatever you love. <laughs>
1: You know, like trends. I know, trends but we're all influenced go, by what's around us.
0: It's true. It is true for sure. Do you? Do you happen to know what year the cottage was originally built? Like the the original building without all the additions.
1: I do not know. I, my dad mm. might know. Yeah. I would say maybe the fifties.
0: Okay, and then like it's many- not one of
1: those beautiful hundred-year-old. You know those amazing right, right. ones?
0: No. Yeah, I've seen I've seen many different types of Muskoka cottages cuz yeah, there are there's the century cottages from the 1800s which are these like huge farmhouses that were originally for for farming the area before it became developed through tourism and then there's a whole, you know, s- spew of cottages that are from the 50s because that was a very popular time for tourism to come up here. So yours is probably within that generation but still very cool like that's still yeah. like 75 years old it's not like a new that's that's still a lot of history yeah
1: and the new owners have kept it as is, from what I can tell. When we we rented a cottage uh, on Rosso last summer, we've been renting every year since, just for a few weeks. And we like we always boat by. It's weird, but we mm-hmm. like boat by. We're like, oh, I wonder what they're Aww, doing. Oh, look, they didn't it a change little that, way. or that's still there. Yeah, totally. But I mean, Muskoka has such an incredible, rich history, so it's
0: cool yeah and I I love so much what you're saying about um kind of keeping the bones of the building and renovating it for like to suit your needs and to to modernize a little bit and you know I I really relate to that as well like you're saying instead of bulldozing something completely down there's there's so much opportunity to renovate um so I I respect respect what you did there as well But maybe you can just describe, like, for the listeners, if they're wanting to know about your cottage, um, kind of maybe the landscape, what it looked like, what walking down to the cottage, what did that feel like? And just like a general description of what the cottage exterior might have looked like.
1: Yeah, so the exterior, honestly, is nothing special. It was like painted (laughs) gray wood siding it's that like kind of tacky (laughs) wood siding where it like kind of has like a curve to it it's hard to describe like an undulating it's not a straight wood siding it's very like 60s 70s styled but it's so that where it was royal muskoka island can have quite high elevation and so it where where the road was you couldn't see the cottage from the road so you drive in and there was either parking at the top and there was a sign um I don't know. I can say the name of the cottage. I don't know. It's not a secret. Are people going to stalk the new owners?
0: <laughs> I don't. I'm not there anymore. <laughs> it's up to you if you want to say anything. Okay. We could keep it private, or you could tell. I don't know. It's, there is really Don't worry about saying what it is. It's <laughs> I okay. I always, always get nervous about like I don't want to expose people that don't want to be exposed. So there's a no, name. You've given, um, a, you've and given then... enough information on on where it is. We don't need to say which one. That's fine.
1: Okay, well, then you would drive, there was like a little driveway, so you would have to drive down because it was quite steep elevation. And so the, as a result, because when the cottage was built, it was so long ago, it was before the bylaws were in place with setbacks from the water. So the mm-hmm. cottage is like right at the water almost, mm-hmm. kind of on, I want to say a cliff. It's not really a cliff, but like a steep hill. So the landscaping had been done so beautifully that it was all like granite stones going down. So you had to go down granite steps to get down to the front door of the cottage or back door, really because the backside is the roadside, right? And the lake side is the front. Uh, And then there was enough to pull your car down and like, so you could pull down and unload your groceries to get into the cottage. But it really was very unassuming. Uh, And everyone was always surprised because from the road, you're like, oh yeah, there's like a little gray bungalow because it was a bungalow. Um, And it didn't have a basement. It was just on stilts. You could go underneath. It was like a crawl space, but it was tall and it was all, um, it was all rocky granite, So, it was just like slabs of granite, you know, where it's like that rock side. It's very slippery, actually. I slipped and fell there once in the winter and really hurt myself because it just gets so slick. And then from there, you could walk down a beautifully landscaped granite stairs with lovely lighting. And there was a um, waterfall. So, the previous owners had installed like a water pump. So, it pumped the water from the lake up to the top. And then they created this little river trickling stream that goes along the side of the stairs. And you could tr- turn it on when we were there and turn it off when we left and it would fill at the top and then it would waterfall c- cascade all the way down, back down into the water at the down at the dock below. And so you would take those granite steps down from the main house down to the boathouse and you could access the living accommodations or you could keep walking down the granite steps to the dock and the, you know, the boats beneath. So uh, the arriving at it was so wonderful because you didn't even see it from the road. And then you leave your car at the top, usually, unless you're the one person with the groceries. And then once you were on the property or in the cottage, you never saw a car for the rest of the weekend. And it's funny, that's really impacted me to this day, that whenever I go to someone else's country property or when I've been, you know, looking at real estate or wherever I stay... I'm always a little judgmental about seeing the cars because I was so lucky because for me, it was like I leaving the car where you can't see it feels like you're leaving the world behind. Mm. It's almost like being on an Island, right? Yeah. But without having to be on an Island. And what a cool perspective. Cause we rented an, an Island last year and it was, it's a very relaxing feeling being on an Island. I mean, there's pros and cons to that lifestyle, but, um, yeah. And so, yeah. So to answer your question, when you approached, it was this sense of, okay, like you said, like, oh, there's such a feeling of relaxation. And you could look out across the southwesterly views down the lake and the the views were epic. Like there were such stunning views because you were up a little bit and it just, you could feel that the, the breeze and we had the, you know, the Canada flag up on our flagpole and it was just, such a relaxing moment to arrive and to leave the cars behind.
0: Mm. (laughs) You're just describing like the most amazing (laughs) feeling. I know. I know. I know. And it's hard. It's so hard because you become so attached to this area and this feeling and your neighbors and and everything that this area has to offer. Like I completely understand if my parents sold our cottage, I would – I would – I would cry too like it's you just have this sense of community in this this just like mad like I just describe coming here is just feeling so magical and uh yeah yeah <laughs> that's like all I can really say yeah, about it like not
1: only could you not see the cars you didn't see your neighbors so from the road you could see your neighbor's cottages but once you were on the property and you were in the cottage Or at the boathouse, you didn't see – because we were – because it was a a point sort of curved around, you couldn't see the other cottages. And then there was an Mm. empty lot. My dad owned the empty lot next door that he had Mm -hmm. bought, you know, years ago. And so it felt so private, which when you live in the downtown of a city like (laughs) I do with neighbors everywhere you look, it's so – it's such a nice change, which just adds and enhances
0: that relaxation. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to ask you as well, just back to design, what you think the biggest differences are designing like a residential home in the city or someone's primary home versus designing a cottage, which might be someone's secondary residence?
1: Well, I mean, there's lots of differences, but I would say the, the key differences would be one that You know, you're designing a a cottage property for relaxation, and the the way you use it is different than how you use your home every day. Mm -hmm. I know everybody is different, and, and I, you know, in today's world, you people want a space to work at the cottage and things like that, but it's it is different in the sense that it doesn't, it has to function, but in some ways, I think in a primary in your primary home function tends to be paramount right Mm. whereas in a cottage yes it's going to function but there's a feeling that you're really trying to capture and Mm. what I love about it too is it tends to be a little bit less precious that would be the second one (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> like, a little bit more rugged, you know, you kind of design for the dogs running around and bringing your, you know, sand-soaked towels in and, like, little kids running around with their fl- flippers on. And there's just, like, so much more going on that, yeah, like, back, not not to say, like, resilient, like, your podcast, but, like, cod- cottages have to be way more resilient, I find, because just the nature of the activities you're doing usually in a more rural area are just so much more robust. So I find, like, even materials and everything that we choose just have to be, like, just that extra step more durable and just, like, have more character to them. And, yeah, that's it. that's if you're designing, I guess, more of a rustic cottage, but, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think, like, like, perfection doesn't need to be the goal. I mean, it should mm-hmm. never be the goal, to be honest, because perfection doesn't exist. But mm-hmm. in the city, I think sometimes people get caught up and like, oh my goodness, there's a scratch or a dent here in the paint or this carpet. And, you know, it's like this obsession of perfection that we have in North America. Like, I don't want my drapery to wrinkle. Um, (laughs) But at a cottage, there can be a little bit more grace. Like, use a linen fabric. Let it wrinkle. Let it feel comfortable. Let your surroundings reflect how you want to feel your mood when you are in the space. Yeah. So, I mean, hopefully, I mean, everybody's different, obviously, but those are the types of properties that I want to design. I want to yeah, design spaces that have vintage elements and, you know, that are a little bit more comfortable feeling and more natural and less uh, less perfect.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you there. And I also just wanted to point out when I was looking at your website this morning, I I stumbled upon your secret obsession, which I'm sure you know what I'm going to say is that you, your secret obsession you say is you love old Canadiana pine furniture and you say that I love old furniture because it has history and every piece has a story. And I read that and I was like, ding, 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 me too. I totally love mixing, you know, something new with something old. And I love the quality of old furniture, especially old, Canadian pine furniture, and I was just like, "Ugh, she knows, <laughs> she knows."
1: I love it, honestly. I, I, I've loved it forever, but it wasn't always trendy. I know. So it was I one know. Of those Me too. I. But now it's trendy. Now everyone's into it, so I'm all for yeah. it. I'm, I'm yeah. happy that everyone's like on the bandwagon because I've been here all along, and I I'm will like, stay will push here it. while it's popular. I will keep buying the old. <laughs> Yeah, exactly.
0: It's probably validating <laughs> when you I know. like something like, and everyone else all of a sudden thinks it's cool too. And you're like, yeah, I know. I've been like trying to push this for like years, but thank you for validating me now. <laughs> and uh, you know what though? I think
1: that's probably from growing up having a cottage and being exposed to that world. I don't mm-hmm. know that if you if you hadn't been exposed to it previously, you probably wouldn't think like an old pine dry sink was cool. Right. Right? Um, Until it becomes popular mainstream. Now it's mainstream popular to like shop antique markets and bring in vintage finds. Because Chip and Joanna Gaines made it farmhouse, you know, chic, cool. Totally, totally. But before that, it really wasn't something you saw a lot in Toronto homes anyways.
0: Yeah. And specifically out in Georgian Bay where I am, um, a lot of them are island only access. And, you you know, it's way harder to get material out there. So people had become way more... um, uh, like what's the word? Like trying to use other materials instead of buying new things because it's just so hard to get anything out there, let alone like a new new anything. So they're just way more resourceful. That's the word I'm looking for. So you just see things being repurposed over and over for different, different things. And I'm like, oh, like, why can't, why can't we repurpose more things? Like, uh, we, at our cottage, we did a little bathroom renovation last year. Oh, no, no, sorry, 2020, the years are getting away from me. Um, And we repurposed an old dresser that a friend was getting rid of, like, a beautiful solid wood um, dresser. And we turned it into our bathroom vanity, which now I feel like I'm starting to see everywhere. But it, it, it was just so amazing to take something that someone was just going to take to the dump, or my mom calls the dump the mall, because, you know, we like to go shop <laughs> at the dump.
1: <laughs> I've not, that is something I have yet to do. <laughs> but honestly, because people and just I am people like, take things there. Yeah, that are totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I pa- so, I'm very passionate about sustainability. I mean, I know it probably says it on my website, but I'm a major environmentalist. So for me, ah, yes. I've always felt strongly about that. Um I I ca- this whole fast fashion disposable design era that we've been in is just heartwrenching Not for me. The Targets, the Walmarts, the Home sands, the home goods, like it's crazy and yes, I'm guilty. I go to some of those places sometimes, but it is um Yeah, I just, I hope that we can revert back to
0: supporting local, repurposing things with love wherever possible. Well, I think this is a perfect way to end off the podcast because that is like, actually what my season two is going to be about is um i'm talking more about sustainability and like resiliency in our materials and like how we can be more sustainable as designers and how we can promote that so i i really appreciate that you brought that up and that you that you agree with me that it's so important um repurposing salvaging um recycling as much as possible. And when we are purchasing new things that they're coming from either local local suppliers, local material, or they're extremely durable and we don't have to rip it out in five years because it's, you know, made of poor quality. So I think these are things that I, I, I like think are the most important in terms of um, sustainable design. So yeah, thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm glad we f- figured out the recording issue. We were having some issues before and I'm so happy uh and I yeah, I didn't know you would have so much in common, but I feel like uh yeah, I'm just so grateful to have made this connection with you and to share your story with um so many people that will will love to hear it. So
1: Amazing. I'm so thrilled that I got to finally chat with you because we've been talking about doing this interview for a while. <laughs> I and know. yes, that we have so much in common. And I'm excited to to listen to season two of your podcast because yes. I love it. I love to hear that more people are paying attention and shining a spotlight on sustainable design practices. Um, but keep doing what you're doing, Katie. I love it. And if Thank anybody you. wants to uh, follow my journey, you can always find me on Instagram. I do, I do share a little bit about sustainable design, not as much as I would like, um, but I, I, basically live on Instagram, which is probably where you found me in the first place.
0: <laughs> yeah, where where can they find you? what What's your what's your handle? It's just Rebecca Hay Designs. Okay, That's and your me. website's the same.
1: Yep, website's the same, Rebecca Hay Designs. And if you want to find out about my coaching, uh, it's RebeccaHay.com.
0: Yeah, and if you want to listen to her podcast, that one is also on Instagram, Resilient by Design, right?
1: Yes, my podcast is called Resilient by Design. You can get it anywhere
0: you're listening to this podcast. Yes, exactly. Okay, thank you so, so much, Rebecca, and we're going to sign off and on to the next episode. (laughs) Thanks, Katie. Thank you so, so much for listening to this week's episode. I so appreciate every single listener that tunes in, every single reader that reads the blog rewinddesign.ca. The the best thing you can do for me to support me in this journey is to either follow along on Spotify, Apple Music, or whichever platform you listen to, click that follow button. The second best thing you can do is share this podcast to your friends and family. If anyone you know might be interested, just forward this along to them and tell them to take a take a listen or take a peek at my website. And if you're interested in supporting me further, I also have a Patreon account where you can donate $5 a month to the podcast and a portion of that will also go to the Georgian Bay Land Trust and that is patreon.com slash No pressure to do any of that. I am just so happy if you're listening to this and if you love cottage country and Georgian Bay and Muskoka as much as I do. So thank you again so much and stay tuned for another episode in three weeks. Bye!